0: Hey everybody, I am so thrilled. One of the greatest Strat Wranglers and greatest rock jazz players on the planet is on the show. Today, it's Scott Henderson. This is a track from his new album, People Mover. And of course, he'll be plugging in with us and it's all brought to you by Vibes High Fidelity Earplugs. Check this out. It's so important. You know, hearing damage is an issue that can affect any of us who plugs in guitars or even goes to concerts, or stands next to our favorite drummer. I mean, it can occur in 10 minutes or less. There's always foam earplugs, but those, you know, they're pretty bad. They're the standard option for most people, but for musicians, they block and muffle sound to the point where you can't hear yourself or your bandmates play clearly. Cut off all the highs and mids. Meanwhile, the bass is amplified. And of course, you don't want the bright fluorescent look of foam earplugs sticking out of your head. Vibes are great because instead of blocking and muffling sound, vibes high fidelity earplugs. As seen on Shark Tank, by the way, Reduce the volume of loud music to a safer and more comfortable level while still allowing you to hear the music clearly. By the way, Vibes are much more comfortable than one size fits all earplugs. You know, Each pair of Vibes includes three sizes of interchangeable ear tips. I just popped in the first size I was on there and they fit perfectly, but it's nice to know I have two other sizes to choose from. Vibes' clear design makes them discreet too, so no one will even know you're wearing them. So Vibes, yeah, man, they'll protect you from hearing damage without inhibiting your ability to hear every note clearly. And it's a great gift for yourself or a live musician you know or even just a music fan in your life. If you want this sort of great hearing protection, we've got a special code for you. Guitar Player, that's your promo code. Just go to discovervibes.com. One word, discovervibes as in V-I-B-E-S.com. Use the promo code player, all one word, to get 15% off and free shipping. And it really helps out No Guitar Safe podcast, which I appreciate. Again, great gift for the holiday season, and they come in a great little package. Really incredible stocking stuffer, if not just a great present. And they're just about 20 bucks. I mean, this is a no-brainer, folks. They sound great. I already took them to one show the other night and really enjoyed them. Again, that's discovervibes.com. New guitar is safe. Scott Henderson gets some killer sounds out of his guitars, and... He's going to show you, for example, exactly how to make stuff like this happen. Yeah, you're hearing tracks from Scott Henderson's new record, People Mover, which is available at scotthenderson.net. He would love to send you an autographed copy. Man, Scott is definitely a global treasure. I'm just going to say it. Man, he's one of the top five Stratocaster players on the planet. I mean, I hate lists, but as far as people who really are pushing the Strat and every possible capability that it can do, for me, there's Jeff Beck, Mike Landau, Osnoy, you know, people who really use the bar and maximize all the crazy tonal capabilities, and also the harmonic capabilities. Again, I hate lists, but Scott is a legend and I just love the way he handles one of them guitars. Of course, he plays a Sir guitar. That obviously celebrates and innovates upon the great legacy of the Stratocaster from Fender. It's a really fun hang we're about to have. Scott also will show you some insane pedals and pedal applications. Yeah, like that one. (laughs) No whammy pedal involved, just your guitar volume knob and a very cool fuzz pedal. I first discovered Scott when he was playing with the Chick Corea Electric Band in the late 80s. Scott is also of course known for his work with the band he founded Tribal Tech, Killer Fusion Ensemble, and of course he played with Joe Zawinol for years. Probably my favorite keyboardist of all time and definitely one of my favorite composers of all time. You know, he's famous for being one of the principal members of Weather Report. Again, these are tracks from Scott's new album People Mover. Scott has also played with Jeff Berlin and Dennis Chambers and many many other great acts. Jean-Luc Ponty, legendary jazz violinist. Today Scott is gonna plug into his favorite vintage Marshall. We're going to his Hollywood studio where he's in the control room with me, but the amp is in the other room just cranked up. I mean the cabinet. It's a nice way to roll. I play a little bit of acoustic guitar here and there just as accompaniment, but really it's all about Scott's playing today. And of course, in recent years, Scott is fully emerged as a solo artist. As I said, these are tracks from People Mover, available at Scott One more time, thank you so much to Vibes. High Fidelity Earplugs for bringing you this great, deep, extensive interview and guitar plug-in session with Scott Henderson. Go to discovervibes.com. Put in that promo code, guitar player, and get yourself a great deal on some vibes. High tech, high fidelity, high quality earplugs. I am still Jude Gold. Thanks for listening to No Guitar Is Safe, podcast episode 103. We're going to plug in now with Scott Henderson, who's showing you his Marshall and his signature model RC Booster pedal from Exotic, and of course, his signature model, Sir Guitar. guitar
1: is Yeah, this is just RC Booster. That's beautiful, and then if you know, if you want high gain.
0: So explain the uh, rig you're running through right now. We're at your secret studio in Los Angeles.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's really straight ahead. It's just a, it's a Marshall and an RC Booster and a, and a guitar. <laughs> That's it. It's super old school. But it's cool yeah. that you have, a, you, you have a room, too, where you uh, Yeah, the actually... room is... The cabinet's in another room and, and mic'd up in a pretty soundproof room. And then I can crank it yeah. at all hours of the night. The bunker. Uh, yeah it it there's probably a lot of reverb and delay because I'm used to playing with tracks. so uh, that that much verb and delay disappears when you're playing with tracks. but So you know it's 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 pretty wet now, but but not when you're playing. and this is this is with my guitar turned down to about seven, you know, so you you know, you can, it gets pretty clean, you know, for chords. And then, uh, you know, if you turn it up to 10, but this is, this is of course, Is a, this is the RC booster with just one channel, so it doesn't have the extra channel for gain. Right, right. So if I use the other one and use both channels, it gets pretty gainy. You know, I could show you some of those well, sounds if you want to hear them. Well, you're talking about the
0: exotic Scott Henderson RC booster. Uh-huh.
1: That, that's the double channel one. Yeah. Right, right. right now you. Said... This is the. This is this was still my model, but a long time ago, because um, with only one channel, to have a booster, I mean the amp. This is the amp by itself. So it's, it's set on crunch you know? I can feel it through the floor even though we're playing it yeah it's conversational level very loud in there that's and, awesome uh, man. and so adding the pedal does that
0: man I've always just been such a fan of you you've always been like Jeff Beck with a really deep vocabulary to me mm.
1: Like. Thanks. I, I hope I don't sound too much like him.
0: <laughs> well, you're one of the most rocking dudes I know. Like, when I think about MI and who's the most edgy personality, like, who really comes across strong? Like, remember once we had a staff meeting and you just walk in the room and you're like, what's up, assholes? <laughs> like, you are five minutes late? No. I'm not really an asshole. I just not act like one. <laughs> you're not at all. It's just so funny and, and edgy. And I just oh, love that. <laughs> that
1: yeah, making friends all over the world. Oh. oh, Well, yeah. You just keep it fun
0: and interesting, man. I'm oh, telling thank you. Like, tell me about your recent tour. You just what? What countries did you
1: just uh, hit? We we played in South America. We started in Bolivia, and um, that's interesting because that that's really high. Like La Paz is. Oh shit! Wait, way well, okay, up I gotta high. turn this off. Oh yeah. So uh, just, just turn all the way to the left. Twist this knob. Yeah, and that's um, that was that's- a little
0: heater. You guys, everybody, it's been 54 degrees in LA. We're <laughs>
1: fucking freezing over here. Send help! Yeah. yeah, it's it's just all of a sudden turned cold really fast. But um, we started in Bolivia, and I've played there before. I played there with Dennis and Jeff, and and uh, it's really hard to breathe because it's I forget how high it is. Um, but it's higher wow. than the highest mountain in the United States, so it's pretty hard to breathe. So I got through those two days, okay, without fainting. Actually, in the day and playing on stage, it didn't really bother me that much because I was concentrating on other stuff. But sleeping was hard because you wake up in the middle of the night and You not know what really helps air. you is
0: just concentrate on the fact that you're not the drummer.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that, or the singer. I don't know how people sing. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like, and I mean, every hockey team that comes there, I mean hockey team, every soccer team that comes there, of course, loses.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> yeah, it like, takes you a yeah. week to get your yeah. blood count up. Now, I'm yeah. um, do you do you use the oxygen tanks or because they only really help you for five seconds?
1: Yeah, that's why I didn't do it because yeah. uh, you know Alan Hertz did that tour and he was hitting it, but drummer. Yeah, he said that uh, you know it didn't do much good because five minutes later you feel just worse. So, but they yeah. gave us these little pills. I think they have chloroform in them or something and. I took them, so I don't really know if yeah. it helped. I still couldn't breathe, but Placebo anyway, effect. yeah, but we had a good time and it was a fun gig, and the people there were super nice. We went from there to Argentina, back to sea level, so that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> and the
0: humidity uh, again. <laughs> yeah. You know
1: what was really cool? We got to play in the same club for three days in a row, which is real rare these days. Everything is always one nighters. In Argentina, you yeah, know? we got to play at the Bebop Club in Buenos Aires for three three nights and the hotel was right around the corner and the food there was amazing so it was like a vacation it was great and from there we went to um we went to montevideo in uruguay played there for one night and then we went to brazil and played at the blue note for two or three nights so that was fun and did you do
0: europe too or
1: yeah well then after that we came home for a week and then we went to asia and we started in japan oh my gosh and we played Two two nights in at the cotton club in Tokyo. Then we went to China and we played a bunch of gigs in China. We played two nights at the Blue Note in Beijing and then two nights at the Blue Note in Shanghai. Then we did about six other gigs around China. Then we flew directly from China to Europe and then I just enough. love that the world loves Scott Henderson. You know what I'm
0: saying well, here? Like, I it's, don't know.
1: I, we have our little fans, <laughs> pockets of fans here just and there. The fact I guess. that you
0: every year you do some crazy world tour, that's fantastic. Yeah. The world supports it. I know America is not always as supportive of instrumental music no. as as the rest of the planet is. Yeah, so I, I love true. that about the rest of the planet. What's up, US? Come on, step it up.
1: <laughs> it's a problem. I mean, we are playing some U.S. dates here, but it's just on uh, New York and Chicago in January. And, and Oh, yeah. Where are you playing? Iridium in New York and Reggie's in Chicago. Rad. And that's the only two cities that offered really good money so that we can afford to do it. Because yeah. I've got two guys in Paris that have to fly all the way here for that, and, but they're coming for Nam anyway. But still, just... Yeah. Tickets from L.A. to New York and hotels. And the, the thing that really kills us is gear rental because we right. have to rent gear at, at these places. Now, do you bring one of
0: your Sir Heads on these world excursions? N- no, or? I
1: mean, you can't. I mean, I have a duplicate rig in Europe, but those that's only for when we're driving. You know, right. we're, we're, we can, we're in the van. But right. if we fly, I got to rent gear. So I rent a uh, Marshall JCM 2000 head, which is yeah. about the closest thing I can find to... To like yeah. an OD one hundred, or, or yeah, those are easy to find. Let me guess, not the three channel ones. No, the, the regular, regular ones.
0: They sound so different. They yeah, sound much warmer.
1: Yeah, they're they're. It's actually you know the reason I got that amp or started renting that amp is because I saw Jeff Beck use one at the amphitheater when I saw him play with Jennifer Batten, and I thought, yeah. well, his tone is really good, and I mean he can get good tone out of everything, but if he's using it, I I figure this has got to be a decent amp. So I yeah. tried it. And it's not quite as warm sounding as the Sir or an OD 100, but it does the job, and I can I can get through a gig yeah. no problem with it, and it's it's fine. the The important part is the cabinets because I've got to have greenbacks, and so I have to rent these cabinets. They're called um, Marshall BX cabinets, and the B means that it's a bottom cabinet, it's not a slant, right. and then X means that it has greenbacks in it. And luckily, that those are new. They make those now. So, you know, it's an easy thing yeah. to find.
0: Now, do you use two cabinets? You're, I believe, you're one of the guys that taught me about if you, you run yeah. a Marshall through two four by twelves,
1: it's, yes. it's not
0: necessarily louder. It just sounds better.
1: Well, when you run the amp at eight ohms, that's what it was meant to run at. Yeah. Like, because those amps were meant to run two sixteen ohm cabinets. So, and what happens is when an amp, when you run a, a Marshall. This design of a Marshall at 16 ohms, it sounds quite thin. It's a very yeah. thin sound. It sounds smooth, but it's very—it's thin. It now that I have the heater off, it.
0: let me hear some more of this beautiful. Marshall. Yeah, this um, it this sounds like um, an angel, man. Now you're running through your studio rig here, studio monitors. Where are you yeah, getting that just,
1: reverb um, from? The reverb is a plug-in and the like delays are Logic plug-in. or Pro Tools. um I'm in Digital Performer, oh, okay. and uh, the the reverb is, is actually amazing. It's Valhalla Plate, and it oh, only yeah. costs fifty dollars. I keep hearing about Valhalla. When when we did, I used uh, the Lexicon bundle on Vibe Station, but when it came time to do People Mover, I had heard the Valhalla Plate, and me and Alan Hertz, the engineer, compared the two, and Valhalla Plate just just blew Lexicon out the door. Now that's a thirteen hundred fifty dollar uh plug-in yeah. suite and valhalla reverb co- valhalla plate costs 50 bucks wow and it nice. just sounds gorgeous i just love it and then the delay is echo boy right play a little couple, couple notes yeah and that's that's it Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> I, yeah. I meant to play that. <laughs> now, where is this, what decade, year is that? Thing? It's a 71 Marshall, yeah. and just set on Crunchy. And uh, yeah. Depending a, on what pedal you're yeah. using with it, it sounds completely different. This is my sort of yeah. go-to. Um, anytime I have to play, like, say, a chord melody... Uh, yeah. l- like the head of a song, if I'm playing People Mover. Uh, this is the pedal I would use yeah. for something like that. Or any yeah. kind of a thing where it's it's got to be chords and melody at the same time, this is the boost pedal that I would probably use. It's beautiful. What about like the clean stuff at the beginning of, say, Transatlantic? Uh that's a different amp and a different um let me see. Yeah. That's this sound I, I can I can Well, wow, I, I didn't mean to make you switch off. No, out. it's really no problem. <laughs> that's a different pedal and that's the Voodoo one and you can hear it's going to be quite a different sound when I'm doing a record I'm I try to vary the tone from from song to song so that they all don't sound the same as much as i love this combination of the rc booster and the marshall i also have a fender bandmaster that i use quite a bit and that was modified by john sir and it just has a better preamp circuit in it and um the rc boosters doesn't sound that great in the fender it doesn't sound as full so i usually use the voodoo one that's the pedal that mike landau made famous and i think he still uses it on stage it's too bassy for me on stage but in the fender it sounds beautiful so let me on um, just real quick wow. i'll just change the switching to the fender bandmaster
0: do you think that pedal would sound like if you have, if you were stuck playing through a fender twin would it would that be the pedal you would use
1: I wouldn't play through a Fender Twin.
0: <laughs> That's what I usually end up playing through.
1: I will if you're renting. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, you might try renting a Hot Rod Deville because those sound pretty decent. I think they yeah. sound better than a Twin, but depends on how much headroom you need because yeah. a Twin has a lot of headroom in it, and the, and the Deville doesn't. But this is the fender, and um, and you can see that with the RC booster, it's. It's a more scooped out sound, but it also sounds kind of small because the the, the Fender doesn't have the bass. It just doesn't yeah. have the low end. But if I switch to the um, this. <laughs> sorry, I <laughs> wish I could help you. I'm That's okay.
0: across the it. across the room.
1: I got
0: it. So this is called guitar player yoga when you're like trying not to drop your guitar and you're bending in some crazy yeah. twister position. Like now like you're that. gonna
1: hear it sound. It's gonna sound huge now yeah you yeah. hear all the low end comes back. You still get all the yeah. sparkle, you know. So yeah, these are so I don't I don't even remember that tune um. Right. but that's great you this is this is the like sound that I used on Transatlantic and you can hear that it's really yeah. big and full. More of a scooped sound because yeah. it's the Fender because it's a different tubes. It's not a mid rangey tube like the EL34, but um it's a beautiful tone. I love this. It sounds yeah, really amazing. nice. What kind of microphones are you? Do you have
0: on your 57?
1: Just to, so that's all that is. 157. Is 157. Wow. 157. Well, these monitors yeah. are wonderful too. Dynaudio. Yeah, they're di- Dynaudio. They're made by TC. Yeah. So, so yeah, cool. that's a. The nice sound, um, just the fact that it's um, nice and big sounding. Yeah.
2: So yeah.
0: Cool. I just, I've always felt like jazz lines could be played with distortion, and there's, there are a lot of traditional jazz players that use a big box guitar yeah. and, and a little polytone or something, and it's always <laughs> yeah. left me flat. Yeah. To me, you are just one of the greatest examples of living proof that a jazz line can come through with a rock tone and a, and a vibrato bar. And-
1: yeah, it's very <laughs> saxophone-like. I mean, I mean, if you think of saxophone, saxophone's basically a mid-range instrument that can sustain notes. So I don't see the guitar as being really any different than that. And saxophone is legato. You know, saxophone players don't tongue every single note. They don't ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. They just blow into the horn and finger the notes, which is basically the same thing you get with the guitar when you do hammer-ons and pull-offs right so you know you can play jazz lines um you know instead of like I don't even know how I would pick a line um I I I I mean I just you know it's it's all it's all it's all done with hammer-ons and pull-offs. Yeah. I pick slides. very little slides and whatever. In fact, a lot of people... It's funny that a lot of yeah. people think I'm using the vibrato bar all the time when actually what they're hearing is me bending and sliding. Yeah, And it's not the bar. Show us know. one of those bends That Some, uh, Sometimes it could, is. Could um, be Like if I'm... All this is, uh, you know. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. It's nothing
0: with the bar. Did you, you know. study a lot of so, sax lines and learn them?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think all jazz guitar players are influenced yeah. by sax players, they have the best lines. And of course, they're not always easy to uh, execute because they don't always lay well on guitar. But if you, I've always tried to find a way where I could play them without picking. And if I can find sax lines that work on guitar, then I definitely use them, but not long lines, you know, because most jazz musicians are very careful not to learn anything more than four to six notes long, because if you do, you just become a lick player. And then then it sounds like you're just quoting other people instead of playing your own stuff because the longer the line you you learn, the less likely you are to use it in one of your own solos. So the idea is to look at it as like language, like we use words. And and words are very small, but we reorganize them. And then every time we talk, we say something different but we're reorganizing those very small ideas. So if Interesting, you, yeah. if you keep your musical ideas really s- small, then you have a bigger chance of not repeating yourself and playing those same long lines over and over and over. You know? And yeah. of course, even if you do that, you've still got the chance that certain words blend into other words easily. So those small ideas have a danger of becoming longer lines that you use ad nauseum. That and everybody has those and everybody gets mad at themselves when they use them and you go god damn it I played that same shit again (laughs) you know when you listen to a tape of yourself yeah you know I'm trying to avoid this one Uh, I've been using that so much it's just some bebop lick that I I don't know and, and sometimes when I don't don't have anything to say I end up playing that
2: yeah, I'm just
1: yeah. so sick of it, and every time I hear myself play it, it makes me mad because I just don't want to play it anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. A, I'm but not a really. I wouldn't consider myself a jazz player, but mm-hmm. I always
0: this Mike Stern line, which he probably got from Charlie Parker. I always mm-hmm. play it. Uh huh. Yeah
1: well it probably came from somebody <laughs> yeah. you know and 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 it's yeah i find myself using it all day long i can transcribe just about any jazz guitarist and and hear lines that i yeah. know for sure came from coltrane or charlie parker are they're just yeah. sort of like these jazz cliches that we all have in our playing even the most modern guys like rosenwinkle and those guys you can hear yeah. little bits and pieces of of Stuff that's very traditional, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they've gone so far; those guys have gone so far in adding to that vocabulary and making stuff sound like them. And I hope I'm one of those guys. If I'm not, I want to be one day one of those guys that you know that you can recognize immediately that that's them with their own vocabulary. And I I, I would say you are. That's the that's the goal. You know, my single biggest
0: thrill of working at MI for. Ten years, well, really four years. Just walking down the hall and hearing you coming, your notes coming pouring down the hall. It's incredibly well, thanks, identifiable. Thank anyone, you. anyone will tell you that who knows well, you. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, well, tell me this: like you got your start as i as far as I know, you got your start like
1: digging the classic rock. That well, it's now it's classic.
0: The Led mm-hmm. Zeppelin and yeah, yeah. Stuff. When
1: I was when I was young, I played um, in a lot of cover bands, but. I was always lucky to find musicians to play with who had my same kind of mindset is to yeah. let's this is just a gig in a way to make money let's also try to make it fun. So yeah. we didn't just stick to like like say okay we're only going to play Linda Ronstadt and and whatever was really really popular at the time. We also played ZZ Top, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple. And later on yeah. in in bands when I got more of a, a a jazz vocabulary, we played a lot of Steely Dan, Weather Report, yeah. and originals. You know, so and along with our but in on the other hand, we also used it as a vehicle to learn how to play because we would I would get up on stage and go <laughs> And then people would just come crowding on the dance floor and they would dance for 30 minutes while I played a guitar solo for 30 minutes. I probably played longer guitar solos in those top 40 (laughs) bands than I play in my own band now. now. The good old days. Yeah, and I mean, people were drunk and they just didn't care. And I used those top 40 bands as a way to really, really learn how to play, basically. And everything that I was learning from my teachers are at MI. I I was, um, as it was called back then, GIT, because that was back in the 80s. I yeah. was using those ideas I learned at school every night on my top forty gig, and, and just trying to. I wonder if this will work in the middle of cocaine.
0: <laughs> so where where would you branch out? Like that must have been one of the first times that that era for you when you started to branch out of Clapton licks. And how would like what would you? How would you stretch out from there? Where where were your first? Oh man! I mean, what were the first limbs off the tree? The, that... the
1: whole the whole thing about just playing those kind of you mean to like to take it out
0: yeah like just something new that where you found a new
2: doorway
1: i have no idea i was probably just learning different modal ideas you know like like in other words if that was a mixolydian thing instead of learning this it it became this you know it became mixolydian and all the licks came from mixolydian Right, all that yeah. stuff, you know, so it, it, it just became learning bot yeah. lines and incorporating that into, whether they be yeah. inside or outside, doesn't really matter. This is the wrong pedal to try to demonstrate. On you want to go back to the... Yeah, I'll go back to the Marshall. But um, yeah, I mean, just learning uh, different lines and learning um, jazz lines and, and, and sticking them where they don't belong in rock tunes. There was a big period of time when I came here to LA from Florida, like I came here in 80 and didn't really end up getting any good gigs until like around 83 or 84 when I, I played on Jeff Berlin's champion record and started to be known as like a, a new guy in town, started to, be, to uh-huh. get some gigs like Jean-Luc Ponty, yeah, played with him for about four years. And then I got to really play the stuff I was learning in the context it belonged in. Whereas before I was playing it completely out of context just for practice. Now I had a chance to finally play those things that I learned in a real, you know, with a real original composer like Jean Luc or or, or Jeff. At that time, Jeff was composing a lot and had a band. Yeah. yeah. Our friend Jeff. (laughs) And that led to Tribal Tech and led to all the other gigs. I mean, really, when you think about it, I haven't done that many gigs, just basically Jean Luc chick korea and joe and i was only with chick for a couple months that didn't work out too good
0: that's funny because uh for kids of my generation a little younger than you when i was like uh 13 or whatever that's when i discovered you on the chick korea electric band record that makes me feel really old thanks It's not that much of a difference.
1: Uh it's a big difference, man. 10, I'm 65. 15, yeah. So so you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Yes. So, man. 16
0: years. That album
1: was incredible for its time. Yeah, I actually hate it. Um is that because it's so <laughs> polished sounding or It's it's uh to me that album has no soul. You know, right. like like uh, and and I don't Honestly, I mean, you know what, I'm really not, a. a I, I feel very co- uncomfortable talking bad about other musicians, but basically, you know, what's going on with him is he has a very, and has had for a long, many, many years, kind of turned his back on anything that was remotely similar to what he was doing before Scientology, which was really playing the real shit and playing the hell out of it too, because he's a monster, you know a musician yeah. but I thought that album that I'm on was was sort of like the top 40 version of Chick Korea. <laughs> that I joined, especially the way he ran it, was definitely the top 40 version of the band because he wanted us to do dance steps. He wanted me to go out... No way. Yeah, he wanted me to go out to the middle of the stage and play solos like a rock star. And so, and back then, I had a stereo rig like a lot of people did, so the best sound for me was to stand in between my two speakers. and I was more inspired to play when I had the sound that I really liked, and Chick Corea made a statement to me, He said, the way the band looks to the audience is much more important than your perception of your own sound. And I said to him, well, I can understand somebody who's running a Vegas review saying that to me, but I thought this was a jazz group. At that moment, I knew that I was not going to be in the band much longer, you know, because we just did not see eye to eye on how things should be. So I was eventually fired because I just wouldn't do what he told me to do. Well, I'm glad you were
0: there anyway to play on some of those tracks
1: and yeah, make that I mean, statement. <laughs> it was a learning experience, that's for sure. Learning learning to never be in a band with a bunch of religious fanatics.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Uh,
0: I'll never do that again. I feel you, brother. And You played on King Cockroach and a couple others. Yeah, and I think Carlos Rios was on that record, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. When I saw yeah. the band at the Jazz Festival a few years later... Um, At the Greek theater, Mm -hmm. I think it was Gambali on guitar. Uh,
1: Yeah, and he fit in that band because he would just do anything Chick told him to do. He'd jump off a bridge if Chick told him (laughs) to jump off a bridge. So, you know, whatever. Now, now you'd probably jump off a bridge if Joe Zawinol told you to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Joe has always been a big, big, big idol for me. Um, I believe he's one of those rare musicians that only comes along every hundred years. He's like a Mozart. You know, yes, the, ad- the ability to compose music in real time. And I've seen it with my own eyes. And it, it's just, uh, it's otherworldly, man. Uh, yeah. You can just sit down at the keyboards and instead of doodle around like most keyboard players do, um, or solo over a standard or something, whatever. I'm not saying it's bad to do that, but I'm just saying that when Joe sat down at his instrument it was always to come up with new music. And he just sat down and just played. And the guy knew he had a gift. And he wasn't... Some people might say he was quite conceited about it, but knowing him the way I do, he was actually quite humble about it. But he knew he had a gift, and he was smart enough to have the tape recorder going every single time he sat down at the the keyboards. Wow. And um, he would never play unless the tape recorder was, was on. And he would sit down and play... And what came out was a brand new composition just done. Well, I guess you know?
0: with all of us, if you actually record yourself and take the time to organize it and listen back, you will find some stuff. Yes,
1: and you will always find some stuff. And I'm the same way. Every time I play or every time I'm trying to write, the, the record button is always on because you never know when something good is going to happen. But this guy would compose a song from point A to the end, and it would be done, and even sometimes completely organized, like no having to take one part and, and, and cut it out and put it onto another part. I mean, this tune was done. Wow. And that just is a, that's that's a, mm, yeah. a rare gift. And that's, that's a next level it improvisation. It, it is. is. I mean, that's... It's, it's the ultimate level of improvisation, yeah. when you can just write a song in real time and have it be a masterpiece. And so that's you know I've got tons of respect for him and also for Wayne Shorter, who who may not have written in that style because I heard that Wayne writes pretty much like the rest of us do. He sits yeah. down and tries this and tries that and then puts it all yeah. together. But but still the 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 work is so genius level that those guys have always been a big influence on me and Jocko, too was such a. A brilliant writer did you ever go check out
0: weather report with jocko and joe i never
1: got to i never i was too young i missed it uh the closest i ever came was seeing jocko's word of mouth band and and that was great because they were playing all those really fun tunes off that album and um a couple times when i saw him i actually got to see jocko really do what he was great at doing which is playing the hell out of the bass but after that you know um, years went by, and then the next time I saw him, he was gone. Like he just, wow. he just it was fast. His deterioration. Yeah, the movie
0: fast. is very incredible. That uh, Robert Trujillo from Metallica put together. I uh-huh. forgot what it's called. Is it just called Jocko? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I didn't see the whole it's thing. A really, it. it's an amazing film. I mean, he yeah. put. He put like a million dollars of heavy metal money into that or something, and probably didn't get most of it back, but he did that out of love for his favorite bass player, and it really captures the whole arc of his life like you're describing. Back to Joe, I've always loved him too. Like He can be incredibly hypnotic with with what he Mm -hmm. plays compositionally or Mm -hmm. like over a pedal tone, Mm -hmm. and you played on some of that stuff. I was thinking of maybe... God, I don't even
1: remember. I mean, it's been so
2: many years. Devil Never Sleeps.
1: Uh, this is this is we're talking 20 years ago yeah. so I don't really remember um, I know I've played on two of his records and I think I'm on a third one which is a live yeah. record but I don't really have much memory of the songs or anything that I played with him I and in fact I never really learned anything from him because he wasn't the teacher type, but you studied his music. Like, always No, there, I studied it. If, if I it were to ask you sure. to show
0: me a couple of chords in those style, of what he oh, would do, of course, or, I could do that. Show I
1: mean, me some, I know, what is Joe to
2: you
0: some, on guitar. Well,
1: this is beautiful stuff. Um, yeah, our, I think he met a gone- yeah, and gorgeous, then, and which is a. some of this this beautiful modulation here which is and if you explain That's that mighty. diatonically you know you could you could explain some of it diatonically because here he's starting with a one chord making a major seven C major seven and going to an F but an F with a D flat in the bass which resolves to a D flat a D minor yep. and then what this basically is is A minor with yeah. uh, E in the bass to F, so we're still in the key of C, but then he switches from uh, F minor, but then, but he puts a B, which makes it a diminished kind of thing. Then I'm missing one chord here, but then here we have a B with a B flat in yeah. the bass, which is still, it's kind of a Phrygian thing actually, because if you went here, then who knows why he went here this just sounds good then he, he goes to a and then adds a ninth <laughs> so um, I think he goes here see I love this stuff through a Marshall it's beautiful <laughs> yeah I that was here now this he goes back to it's like a B sus flat 9 but then what the, song this is this? Orphan. Orphan. Orphan this is F minus sharp so he's back in the key of C or G actually that's the 4
0: chord so now. did you just transcribe this yourself listening to the keys and yeah. wrote out your own chart and yeah. memorized
1: it I love this part, this nice modulation here.
2: Well,
1: this is beautiful. Yeah, it's really nice here. Oh my gosh. It's just gorgeous Would stuff. you play those chords along with him? or? Yeah, we did that song as a duet for a little while, and... He actually, one thing that was kind of funny, you know, he's like Mr. Improvise. He doesn't like to learn stuff even though he has to because he has to learn his own music. Yeah. And um, it was funny that we tried playing this song and he would just improvised through it. And I told him, Joe, you know, I mean, no offense, but Wayne's improvisation made this tune into like classical music. If you don't play what Wayne played, it's not the orphan. And he agreed. And like, he learned Wayne's whole thing. Because it's imprinted you know? on all of our ears Yeah, now. because we've heard it so many times. And and so he learned, he got up a sax sound on his keyboards. So he had actually a, a sample of Wayne. And um, he actually yeah. spent the time and learned Wayne's whole thing through through that tune. And we played it the same every night. And, and I asked him one time, I said, Joe, if you don't want to play this anymore... I understand that it's, you know, it's not your thing. It's like a learned thing. And it's, and, and he said, you know, he, he said, I actually enjoy it because it's a tune that I can just not have to think on and just, and just play, <laughs> well, you know, that's just, good, Scott. just play and it. That's
0: called managing your boss. Yeah. Well, which you did. I got to do
1: it a couple of times. Actually, you know what? Joe, Joe kind of needed to be yeah. managed sometimes because if it was up to him. He would just jam for half an hour and, and not, never stop because yeah. that's how he wanted things to be. What he told me is that Jocko was his sort of like arranger in Weather Report, and I became his arranger in our band. I was the one that had to say yeah. Joe and looking at my watch going, we've been jamming, you know, the audience is getting bored, let's... Give him you know, another tune. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't want to play three tunes the whole night, you know. and yeah. and I, But he got it's pissed a at me a lot. not 55 bar Joe. Well, yeah, he would get pissed because, you know, he'd see me looking at my watch and we'd go, God damn it. But I think he knew that if we didn't do that and if we didn't and if I would say, "Okay, let's go to the next section now, let's let's go here. And sometimes he would even just let me cue the band because he knew he wasn't going to do it. Uh, And when I when I watch uh, footage Mm. of Weather Report, it wasn't like that. It's like they had set, they had a certain number of bars yeah. and then they went to the next section and they played the tunes very similar to the way they were on the records but yeah. when I was in the band Joe had gotten into this kind of African music thing where the it was voices. A, it was just yeah and, and one chord for a long time so it was more difficult to get him to play an arrangement which I yeah. I can't say I blame him the guy didn't play in arrangements all his life so maybe he just wanted to jam over one chord and that was the next thing he was into, you know? And who am I to yeah. say no? Don't do that, man. Whatever. I love I love his stuff so much. Weather report, yeah, me Led, too. The
0: Led Zeppelin of fusion, exactly. And, um,
1: and 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 you're exactly right because when I look at Led Zeppelin, even though all the players are are excellent, it's the tunes. It's the beautiful writing that made them the best rock band in history. And Weatherport's kind of the same thing for jazz. It's like the best jazz music ever written, in my opinion. Um, Even though you wouldn't call it traditional jazz. Let's say the best jazz fusion music ever written because of course there are some beautiful It really is jazz fusion too It's not rock fusion No it's jazz fusion It's jazz fusion because it's coming from it's coming from Miles Davis it's coming from albums like Nefertiti where those guys were starting to experiment with a lot of space and everything wasn't so traditional just walking bass and and spang lang lang on the cymbals Uh, they were really starting to experiment with other types and then by the time Bitches Brew happened Miles had immersed himself fully into that experimental yeah. stage of music and that's basically where Weather Report's roots came from from, from that era of Miles you know and um, they just kept it going but they put more of a compositional twist on it you know their yeah. their thing
0: Well I hear a little bit of voices on Transatlantic I said you know Zawinul always had these voices <laughs> That's, and you got some that's voices Kinsey's in there influence
1: yeah. I asked Kinsey to play percussion on the record and because I felt those yeah. tunes just needed it, and Kinsey said, "Hey, what if we put some voices in here?" And, and I was like, "Oh boy!" But then he just he chose those those ones, and I really liked them. So. love that stuff and and, you know if someone accuses me of being influenced by joe i I guess i won't be offended because i am (laughs) but still you know i think i think when people hear my music there's definitely more of a rock mentality especially with the tones and everything oh my gosh speaking of
0: tones dude tell us what's going on at the beginning of syringe
1: A bit Junior, and it does some pretty amazing stuff.
0: Spelled O T T O. O T T O B I T
1: Junior, and just um, makes some great stuff. Yeah, it, it, it has some really great stuff, and, and it's very unpredictable, like all of the Maris stuff. Are you familiar with the with the uh, YouTube channel Knobs? You should check it out. It's on YouTube. Just go to K N O B S, and yeah. it'll come up with a little dial. And you go on that channel it's all the hippest pedals you know that you've ever heard and of course wow. you know it'll it'll you'll spend a lot of money too much money and <laughs> Is this i where you saw the auto bit money. that's where i saw the auto bit junior yeah and i said i gotta have this because it's too badass not to own this this pedal it's amazing um let me get a, getting a yeah here we go power supply I can't promise that I'm going to be able to dial it the exact sounds that I got because I messed around with it quite a bit before I was able to get something that I liked that, that I thought fit the tune. Right, right. Because the thing is so completely unpredictable.
0: Oh, man. It's just... That's just like your guitar just sustaining
1: yeah there you go now I would call that a usable loop is this like
0: yeah you didn't even touch your guitar that whole time it was like one string ringing yeah I just hit an E string
2: yeah
1: Yeah. and that was all and the pedal does the rest one note yeah (laughs) but you can do if you play I mean you can obviously make it Sure. Um, That's you just have beautiful. <laughs> to know where to. More, more like it
0: It's like a, a ring fuzz mixed with now. a ring mod.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's see if I can I'm not having any luck here. Ah, there we go. Uh, Definitely some, you know, usable stuff in there And, you know, I'm sure that I'll use it on the next album in a completely different way That's the beauty of these pedals, they're so unpredictable and they can do so much stuff You could use it just for noise on one record and actually use it for a solo on the next record A little bit tweaked Um, One of my favorite pedals I am crazy about this thing Man, we are we
0: are in the golden age of guitar pedals and like TV shows.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is a robo bone. And, Roto and bone. Roto bone, and this is um, made by Paul Trombetta. I just
0: and- like the names of pedals nowadays.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I used this one on um, Happy Fun
2: Sing solo at the end. <laughs>
1: Now, if I, if, I, if I turn the tone down or if I hit softer, one of these knobs will make yeah. it sound kind of normal until you hit hard yeah. and then it'll do its thing. <laughs> now it sounds kind of normal.
2: But if I I don't know, I'm trying
1: right, right. There it is. Yeah. So as long as I play like a little softer, it sounds kind of like a normal Sorry I'm overloaded. But if I hit it really hard Now it's really starting to do its
2: thing.
1: So, you know, I love these kind of pedals that, that they sound kind of normal until you hit hard, and then yeah. and then they bring another level of yeah. of monstrosity to the <laughs> to the sound.
0: It's amazing how yeah. we guitar players find the monstrosity to be so beautiful sounding. I mean, that, that sounded so gorgeous. <laughs> we love
1: it, don't we? Yes. We're we're yes. nuts. Another one is this cool. Um, people have heard me use this a lot. This is this is one of my all time favorites. I used it on. Um, you heard it on Mysterious yeah. Traveler.
0: Is that a um, Zvex? Yes,
1: yeah, so it's just the regular old Zvex. Um,
2: Factory.
1: Factor. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he didn't even play one note no no, I'm just <laughs> turning knobs. but that's the one where you can play so a, a high note. <laughs> I'm just messing around with my volume knob
0: so you get so okay you're holding a high yeah. note on the high string and just it's
1: just messing around with the volume, volume knob, knob. Yeah. up and down Love it. It's just so noisy and wonderful.
0: What's the key to making it set up, to getting the pedal set up like that? I think uh, I
1: have... this is, uh, first knob is just volume. Second knob is all the way down. Um, that's the I think that's the uh, the gate. Third knob is at about like one o'clock. Fourth knob is all the way up. That's the gain. And right. then the sustain knob is at about like five o'clock. I yeah, think yeah. You can set it up a little more musically, <laughs> not to go quite so nuts. <laughs> kind of going nuts
0: single yeah, coil pickups cool. ladies and gentlemen
1: it's just <laughs> yeah nothing like them
0: a Sir S style oh, Stratocaster oh I can
1: see why that happened because I had the tone knob way down uh <laughs>
2: Noty. Still not doing what
1: I want it to though. Just there it goes. So maybe this knob has to be down just a little bit more. I now it. Yeah, that's yeah, the
0: volume that's, knob doing that that's jump what I wanted it to do man you turn your volume knob into a whammy pedal that's nuts
1: yeah yeah kind of kind of that's, works like that yeah that's fun
0: that is so gangster
1: uh, yeah
0: <laughs> that's beautiful man I love the noise uh, you always give such great guitar tips too like one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard you tell a student once was it's not what you know it's what you can do with what you know exactly I mean, yeah I mean
1: that's like a, the rule of law in music pretty think much think about the guy
0: What's who did rumble oh.
2: he he crushed it
0: yeah that was a huge song that was two chords yeah yeah okay maybe three So I got my first pair of Vibes in the mail. Vibes high fidelity earplugs. They come in a tiny envelope which is great. There's a killer box that contains them like really well-designed packaging which I always appreciate. You really feel like it's a quality item and it is. It also comes with a great little carrying case the size of like one of those tiny like dental floss sample things you might get at the dentist or something like smaller than a regular one. The size of something that's rounded and ergonomic that would fit right in that little pick pocket on the right side of your jeans in the front. You know what I'm talking about. So yeah, I really like the overall feel of these things. They pop right into your ears. And most important, they let a lot of the frequencies into the party that foam earplugs might not. You know, some of those sweet upper mids and highs that are essential to your guitar sound, they're not completely blocked out. And you know what? As a professional musician, I also do have a $300 set of custom molded earplugs. But honestly, I find them a little cumbersome to always be dealing with, and I don't want to lose them the way I lost my first pair, which was an expensive (laughs) loss. So these Vibes earplugs do a great job at just 20 bucks. It's like having a super high-quality alternative to foam earplugs but without having to go into the land of custom-molded skull fillers. I recommend them. And again, if you use the promo code GUITARPLAYER, all one word, you get 15% off plus free shipping at discovervibes.com. Buy a pair for you or your friend. It helps vibes and it helps this podcast. Seriously, discover vibes.com, promo code guitar player. Well, you always have some really good practical tips. Like you've pointed out that just sticking to scales can be kind of predictable half step, whole step sure. motion. Yeah. How do you get out of that?
1: Well, you know, by intervals. spreading your intervals out across the strings and just learning maybe maybe more arpeggio ideas, you know, learning that you can play D minor by going... Instead of... Right. Yeah, instead of going... <laughs> you know... Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, by, right. by that whole scale bullshit, you know, that all you need is just a couple no's. You, yeah, know, so just, you, jump. <laughs> you know yeah, I'm just you know I'm just difference.
0: I'm just you're not trapped into uh, neighbor tones you're not what's the word you know that kind of scalar motion you're not trapped no into no no, at all. no I don't
1: even think about scales anymore yeah. I think about yeah. intervals and just the intervals that I hear yeah you know I skip And I just skip around on the neck.
0: Yeah. So that's another thing you recommend is learning all the notes. Really learning yeah. the, the geography of the fretboard. and Yeah,
1: just knowing the fretboard well and being able to play vertically on each string and knowing the intervals that you hearing what you want to play first and not being bound by scale patterns because that's a trap. Yeah. Well, no. your
0: your hand is, in other words, you're jumping around the neck like a violinist would, kind of like you're not just stuck in a box yeah, and then jump yeah. into another box. And if
1: you see most players, jazz players play, they have their eyes closed and they're playing very vertically on the neck. When you say vertically? Papathini, you mean like anybody
0: jumping from you know from the nut up to the yeah you know, that direction? Yeah, it's
1: it's 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 more vertical than horizontal. Except I guess when you play fast, it becomes. More horizontal because you've got a. Yeah. You can't make those big well, from, interval skips as much just to keep vertical, the tempo you mean up. You you're
0: going from the low frets up to the high? Which, yes. Yeah. People and can't hor- see that. Horizontal might...
1: is more like you know from G on the low G string to G on the high G string. Yeah. You know, like a, a you know across the neck yeah. instead of up and down the neck. No. And and that's kind of a trap because you get stuck trying to play your mm. ideas in yeah. one position on the guitar when. Saxophone players, because of their octave key, they can just hit an octave key and be way up high, and yeah. you're you're never it's gonna do that if you stick in one. You're never gonna achieve that kind of of interval, you know, of, of space between the intervals if you stick in one position on the guitar. Right. Uh, so you got to
0: visualize it, having an octave key. Almost. Yeah, I, I
1: guess sort of sort now of. You sort once of like gave me
0: that. a really great exercise of of kind of rhythmic exercise where you take a simple phrase and then you displace it and push it over when yeah think,
1: i don't ever think about doing yeah, that right. but it's these kind of things uh maybe something like that or so give me something like four, if i'm if the groove is four four what would i play underneath to give it some bedrock it doesn't really matter i could play that in sixteenth uh Fives over Are one, you? two, three, four, five, seven. But, you know, I don't I don't ever think about that stuff. It just sort of happens. Yeah. And and uh, it could be sevens or nines or any odd grouping. Do you ever push a 4-4 four, four phrase over? <laughs> and move it over and it starts in a different not, place? Not, or? No, because, yeah. you know, to me, that kind of stuff seems clever, but not really meaningful right. to me. Well, I think um, you
0: do it organically when you're actually doing it. but Yeah, I guess. You I, re-
1: but I don't ever think about it. I mean, I guess... Like yeah. anybody that's trying to tell a story, most of what I play has to do with what I played before. So I just try to yeah. continue an idea and, you know, make milk an idea for whatever it has until it's. I think it's time to stop. Basically, it's just like reading a book with paragraphs. You know, the paragraph talks about a particular subject until the author feels like that subject has been talked about enough, then he starts right. another paragraph. And as musicians... Right. We, we play the same way. We, we play an idea and try to get people interested in that idea, especially the bassist and the drummer. And then it sounds more like a band solo than just like one guy up there playing his shit and the other guy's just supporting him, which is boring. You know, yeah. I, I find that my favorite solos always involve the band in some way, the bass and drums. I'm not saying that they jump on his rhythms and copy them, But they have a way, good bass players and drummers have a way of knowing to change up their thing to fit what the soloist is playing. That doesn't mean copying it rhythm per rhythm, but they just change it up in some way. Then when the soloist decides to go somewhere else, they go somewhere else. So it sounds like the landscape is continually changing to back up the solo, so this is what makes solos really interesting. And that's been going on ever since the days of Led Zeppelin because Jimmy Page often played things that he'd played like some kind of a vocal trade off with Robert Plant and then, then then he'd start his own solo and when he started his own solo the drummer would go to his ride and you know and, yeah. and it would be like a different landscape.
2: Yeah, sometimes, right, so,
0: sometimes
1: Bonham would push the tempo a
0: little bit too. Yeah, just, no click track. You know, that's what yeah,
1: I, I mean, just those things that have like band interaction, yeah. those are the most fun things about solos for me. It, it's not that I can't get off on just listening to a great solo all by itself and, you know, wonder at the great arrangement of notes and lines and intervals and yeah. stuff, but. When the band is playing along with it and when the band is really yeah. supporting it and there's all these events going on within the group, to me that's when it's the most interesting. But sometimes on your studio albums, don't you overdub the solos entirely later? If I do that, I'm careful to copy what I played in the studio. So with this, yeah. with
0: a new record, for example, were these all done in the studio and then later you just added some overdubs? Or? Depends
1: on the tune. Some tunes I kept some stuff, some tunes I didn't. But and they
0: all started out with a three of you playing oh well, yeah yeah
1: live yeah. there's too much like okay like so you got
0: romaine uh, tell romaine LeBay
1: um and yeah and archibald. archibald ligonier on drums yeah and we went into the studio and played as a trio just like another gig that's why i like to um that's why i like to play on the road and play the songs on the road for a long time before we go into the studio for at least six months and yeah. so that when you go in the studio it's just like it's just another gig You know, you just play and it's like you're at a gig. And the only difference is we might take two or three takes of the tune and pick the best one. Where did you track him? Um, Just down the street at um, King Size Sound Labs. Beautiful recording studio. They have a wonderful Neve board. But the room, unlike some of the studios in Hollywood, it's not like one of those big boomy rooms where there's a lot of... Um, room sound with the drums, which is would be great if you wanted to record a, a rock album. You'd have all this ambience with the drums. But we're playing a lot of funk and tighter music, so we don't yeah. want that big room sound that you can't get rid of. So this is a nice, tight room. It's still big enough to make the drums sound good, but it's nice right. and tight and, and dry enough that when you play funk, it sounds like funk. But the main thing is the Neve board because that's such a big part of... Um, I love that sound. I can't get away from it. So I'm not going to do a record without a Neve board. That's that's my favorite. That's my favorite board. But um, anyway, we the first time we recorded there, which was Vibe Station, I made the mistake of bringing my Marshall thinking that I could uh, crank it in about five rooms away and then it wouldn't bleed into the drum mics and I couldn't have been more wrong because if that amp was across the street, it would still <laughs> bring into the drum, <laughs> drum lights. Yeah. So there was just... I ended up having to turn it down to one. Talking about this amp? Yeah. It's like a, and I ended up having... Water. What's that? 100 watts. 100 watts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I ended up having to turn it down to one and by that time the tur- tubes were just ice cold and they weren't doing anything and the amp sounded just shriveled up and not even being used. So I couldn't use the tracks at all. This time... I, i thought to do it different so i brought irs i brought john sir's load box and my Marshall, yeah and the celestion irs and that definitely helped me play better in the studio because i was getting my sound but then when i got home and i you know started playing through my cabinet i was well, like, <laughs> you're like I don't you're- no I don't- yeah, it's like it's a it's a it's a pretty I'm not saying that the IRs, IRs don't sound good because a lot of guys that use amp modelers and IRs um I would totally agree that they sound better than a than an average amp or medium or bad amp. But if you've got a 71 Marshall or a really great old Fender and you're comparing it to that, then there's just not a contest. It it just you know, yeah. and it may not be just the amp. It may be the way I have the room, the, the cabinet mic'd in the other room. It may be yeah, the sound like of the room.
2: Variables.
1: Yeah, it's, it's. if I'm not hearing that sound, it sounds yeah. broken to me. Plus you're feeling it sh- shake the floor literally, yeah, which might inspire you in it, a certain It could way. be part of that too. But I ended up overdubbing and replacing a lot of the stuff that I played But there are parts where you can't really tell because if the drums are really going, like if I played a phrase that I played at the basic tracks and I just can't replace it, I kept it because something that I played, it just had to be there. And so what I did is I just EQ'd it as much as I could to make it sound like my real gear and kept it. So I kept bits and pieces from all over the session, but just replaced parts that I thought needed replacing and I, a lot of times I actually just learned what I played and played it again for better tone. Right, and right. there, That's there, cool. there are a couple solos where I, of course, anytime you do a session, there are going to be solos that you hate and you're going to go, well, God, the bass and drums are so good. We got to keep this track, but my guitar sucks because I just had a bad take. So luckily there was some solos like that and luckily the drums and they weren't the kind of solos that the drums and bass really react to they were just sort of like groove solos so I just replaced the whole solos and and I didn't care that the rhythms there were no rhythms there to react to but like say on my transatlantic solo man those guys were all over that solo they were reacting to everything I played so I had to keep it you know so I just Learned the parts that I needed to learn and to to have it be what it was you know to make it what it was but I got really bad tone in the studio on that song for some reason and maybe I had my tone control up too high but it was pretty squirrely sounding so I just learned learned it and played it again
0: guitarist I've ever met, but you're also, you, you do hold yourself to a really high standard and you never want, you know, people to put out video of you and stuff. Or That's yeah. irrelevant, I guess. But I mean, how do you deal with that's that? That's like, more about
1: tone, because yeah. usually when c- people come to our gigs and record us with an iPhone, you can't even hear the bass, so it yeah. just sounds so stupid because you're listening to usually this really honky, mid rangey guitar tone, which the iPhone microphone picks up. And doesn't pick up the bass at all, so you're right. in ending up with a really terrible sounding video. So I pulled those down. Yeah. But but a guy came to Vegas and recorded a couple tunes, and I kept them on. I don't take everything down, right. but almost everything that people put up is is recorded with an iPhone, and that just that's an automatic takedown right but are there. Are
0: you a perfectionist about your performances, or like, I mean,
1: it depends on how bad I played. What, what, I mean, where are you in the um, level of zero to Holdsworth? Oh my God. If he's a ten, I'm probably an eight. You know, I guess. Yeah.
0: Well, he was apparently yeah. pretty intense about that.
1: He was like, too intense about it because I don't, yeah,
0: he, I don't see you as an eight.
1: I'm an eight. He, huh. he. I just keep my mouth shut about it. Um, right. The only thing that makes me an eight is that I don't go around telling everybody how terrible I was and make them feel bad that they liked it. You know. Right. Whereas, yeah. whereas, with if someone told Holsworth. Oh you played great tonight. I really enjoyed the concert. He would say, "Oh god, you must be deaf." You know, or or, or you know, I'm sorry. I suck so bad and you you, you know you, you should feel bad now because you think it's good. You know, I I just don't go that far. I'm polite. I say thank you. I really appreciate it. Would you like to buy a CD? <laughs> No, <laughs> I'm not going to advertise the fact while, that I didn't that think, because because every night for me is half creativity and half damage control. And it always will be that way for anybody that wants to get better. You're always going to play stuff that you didn't mean to play. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it sounds bad to the audience, but you know that you didn't get to the places you were trying to get to and you're upset about it or you might made some mistakes that were really really obvious to you and maybe even to the band but you know that the audience never even heard it and and so why make that a public event
0: well your friends will be like do you think anyone in the audience could tell and you know the answer is well not if they don't have anything to a b it to but if if yeah. someone had a decent ear and they could mm-hmm. A B, then a they probably would be able to tell versus a yeah. not quite so good. Then yeah. they
1: probably could say, "Hey, that, yeah. that glass of wine is a little better well, than the other one." Yeah, like like <laughs> my guys in the band hear me play every night. So they know when I've had a bad night, and when I've had a good night, and and I don't ha- even have to broadcast it to them. They know. They hear it, and and they see me like looking a little depressed, and they know. Yeah, you know, he didn't have a very g- good night tonight. Um, but they don't care because to them, the difference between my good nights and bad nights are not nearly yeah. what they are to me.
0: So yeah, no one cares yeah. except for us. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you ever play um, with
1: Holdsworth in the audience watching you? Yeah, a does, bunch that, of times. Does
0: that make you more self-conscious or, well, I mean,
1: anytime you're playing in someone else's in the audience that you know is a really good player, it it's human nature to, to, to let it make you nervous. And, and you know i'd lo- love to say that i've gone past that point but i haven't and i don't i'm not sure anybody has i yeah, played no in f- one has. i mean i've played in in front of joe's Alvinal. i mean when i think about it here's a guy who was listening to wayne shorter play for 10 years and now he's listening to me i mean how's that going to make me feel I, I i'm just not i'm nowhere on near the level of wayne shorter as an improviser well it's so- more nerve-wracking if joe's sitting at a table
0: having a cocktail watch you Then if you're actually playing with him on stage <laughs>
1: actually he did that's how I got the yeah. gig see that would was, be nerve-wracking he came he came to hear uh Jeff Berlin's band because he was looking for a replacement for Jocko and I was in that band that's when jo- Joe heard me play and he liked my playing and that's why he called me because that's from fair. that night but he ended up hiring Victor Bailey instead of Jeff but later when he needed a guitar player, he remembered that night and he remembered hearing me play with Jeff and he dug my playing. So, you yeah. know, I got it the worked. gig.
0: Yeah, we all, yeah.
1: But anyway, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that anybody any anybody that's playing in front of somebody that they really respect, I mean, I know McLaughlin has come to see me three or four times, Bruce Foreman, I mean, lots of guys, yeah. lots of guys, heavy players. And I know, like, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, if I do make a phrasing flub you know and i in a phrase awkwardly they will definitely hear it <laughs> dismount you know? and yeah 2.7 they, yeah they're gonna hear it and they're gonna know yeah that was definitely not something he meant to play and they're gonna they're gonna hear those mistakes and and yeah yep. of course that makes you a little bit more self-conscious about what you play unfortunately
0: yeah we've <laughs> all been there I, yeah there's your podcast is funny with um bruce foreman and uh, <laughs> And with Troy McCubbin, the three yeah. of you. And he yeah. I think you were... Were you telling me once... at <laughs> Holter was like, Scott, why are you here? You're going to make me play. I'm too
1: self-conscious to leave. Yeah. And he has told me that before when I come and hear him. And sometimes mm. I feel like telling that to other guitar players. It's like, ah, you're here. That means I'm going to play like crap.
0: And... and Yeah. You it's know, a thing we all... All of us guitar players share. You know.
1: It's not just guitar players. Yeah, it's musicians. Any, it's any musician that, you know, I'm, I'm sure... That just about any sax player would get nervous if Chris Potter walked in and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. I'll do the best I can. I had to play a solo after that guy on an album one time on uh, yeah. this Brazilian <laughs> um, guitar player, did an album and he hired Chris Potter. And Chris Potter played this big minute and a half long solo. And then my solo was like about 30 seconds after his. And I'm like, what am I gonna oh, man. do after that? I just that?
0: remembered, like, I think the worst solo I ever played. <laughs> It's when Alfonso Johnson and Rod Morgenstein suddenly appeared at the monitor board right next to my amp. Hey, let's see what's going on here. Uh And it was like, (laughs) I had the wrong guitar on. (laughs) Like I I was wanting to do it on the strap, but I had the Telecaster on. And it was a big, open, long solo, like wide open. Man. It was like, give me one more shot.
1: Yeah. Well, we all, you know, I always tell that story about when I was overdubbing at Joe's, place and I played this one line and I said no I don't like that and he said well what the fuck did you play it for then <laughs> <laughs> which which when you think about it in his mentality you can't even really picture someone playing something they don't like yeah because he's just not able to be in that mindset at all because to him everything he plays was meaningful and it meant and it's supposed to be there right and and yeah. and I, I sometimes think, wow, I wish I had that kind of an ego. I don't deserve to have that kind of an ego. But if I did, I know I would play better because I would be so confident in every single thing that I played. There would be no way I would not like anything that I do. And the only way I know how to get there is just to be totally drunk. And then that way I like everything I played. I don't know it's bad. <laughs> it was probably bad, but I just don't know it. <laughs> but yeah, I stayed yeah. away from that d- direction. I didn't really ever go in that direction. But th- yeah. then again, there are some players who I won't name who do think they're really good and do have that kind of swaggering ego who really are terrible. And But yet somehow they've convinced themselves that they're good. And, and um, I don't know how they did that, but... I guess I've just heard too many good musicians and too many of the greats that I could never think that about myself because I compare myself to guys, you know, who I really respect that I, I don't feel I do play as well as. The only yeah. thing that I can hope is that I have this little thing that I do that nobody else can do as, as good as me. And in other words, I'm the best Scott Henderson there is. And that has to be good enough. I would agree that has to be good enough because man you're never gonna you're never gonna totally satisfy yourself on stage or anywhere else you're always gonna there's always that part of you that's gonna be critical and maybe that's the part that enables us to grow and practice and and maybe if we didn't think you know negative thoughts about what we do we would never have a reason to try to get better
0: do you feel like your band on the road like after day four or five six seven there's a Another level of playing. That absolutely,
1: hits. absolutely. That's one of the reasons I can't stand the baked potato gig because we talked about it on the podcast just the other night. It's called Guitar Wink. Yeah, practicing in your room is so not like playing on stage. And though practicing in your room may give you facility in your fingers, and it may make you a little more confident that you're not going to make blatant mistakes but the sheer volume level on stage and 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 the interaction between the other players and the and the sound the different acoustics that you're going to encounter is yeah. so different than practicing at home that the first gig is always sort of sketchy you know yeah. and and i hate sometimes that the only time i play in la is maybe once or twice a year at the baked potato and i never feel like that gig ever gets beyond the just don't fuck up, don't fuck up stage. Whereas when you get on the right. road, that mentality just disappears and you play from night to night and it just gets you, it gets more burning every night and you just walk off st- walk on stage with a complete completely different level of confidence. It's so much you're so much more confident because you just did it the night before and the night before the night before yeah. that. So you get into the zone where it's just about being creative. And even if you do yeah. make a mistake, you don't care because you're so happy that the yeah. whole thing came off on such a high creative level. That doesn't seem to happen on those one-off gigs. And the other thing is, is that when you're practicing at home, you're soloing and you're just playing forever. But when you're playing on a gig, you got one chance to do it, and you have to know yeah. when that solo is going to end. You have to, you have to be way more. Uh, you know, way more into telling a story than just practicing yeah. your shit. You know, that's
0: like me at a jazz gig because I keep taking, just trying to get one good
1: chorus <laughs> on a jazz standard.
0: I'm like, wait, give me one you more try.
1: I give up. I like, I know when it's time to stop soloing <laughs> and okay. I give up and, and then I just go, okay, well that wasn't a good solo. Not that it didn't have all of my solos have good moments, but did the whole solo really say something? and that's what disappoints yeah. me the most in my playing not that i didn't pull this off or pull that off because that happens i can do that you know in my sleep but did i really tell a convincing story from note 1 to the end of the solo yeah. and if i didn't that's what haunts me after the gig that's when the that would be the reason for me to say i played like shit because I didn't tell a good story with that solo. Not about individual measures. Well, I've or seen you do exactly that,
0: you know, that, tell an amazing story so many times, every time I've seen you. Well, That's why I'm a fan. Like, maybe
1: you were lucky and saw a good night. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> That's like, what it is. It
0: could like, just yeah, be all blues, which you often <laughs> yeah. play, and yeah. it just, it's amazing yeah. how you can take that to the moon. What If I were to play a solo right now on the show, fly it in from one of your recordings, is there one of your favorite solos on record that you uh, feel like you kind of...
1: Ah, oh, the Lady T solo I really like the one in uh, well it's to the, the first burst. song on Well to the Bone. <laughs> that solo had a nice curve to it. It kind of develops yeah. and and it's, it, it starts out really vibey and bluesy, and then and then some chops come in, but it never goes to that excessive level, which I tend to do sometimes, where it's just fast for the sake of being fast, and I've been guilty as the next guy of, of doing that. <laughs> I really like the Happy Fun Sing solo because that solo's, um, there's a lot of nice melodies in it. So somehow I came up with some, it doesn't just sound like uh, licks.
0: a beautiful you know, one it's, um, that i thought was like a fuzz pedal but just yeah, now nah, you yeah. said it was the roto bone roto bone <laughs>
1: pedal yeah So I always have favorite solos, and they're usually the ones that are the most melodic. Um, and I can sometimes I can tell when I'm playing a solo, and it's not working out. And I and I go, yeah. okay, well, why is it not working out? And usually, 99% of the time, the reason it's not working out is because there's too many notes in it, and it's not speaking. It's just too rambling yeah. with lots of notes, which, which most bad solos, when you think about it, when I hear a bad guitar solo, usually what ruins it is the fact that the guy's playing too many notes and not, t- not um, getting to that other zone where he's telling a melodic story. And that's why guys like Jeff Beck, I mean, I'd almost rather hear Jeff Beck play two notes. Same thing goes from Wayne Shorter. And, you know, to hear those guys play two notes than most other saxophone players play a hundred or guitar players play a hundred because they have, they can, they, they know how to play notes that stick. Yeah, no, I'm inspired when I go home today, I'm just going to be like. (laughs) you know it's a lot of times like when i'm on festivals and we'll follow some heavy metal band or some heavy fusion band where the guy's doing two hand stuff and and it's like okay i'm just gonna go up there and play my little whole notes after that
0: oh and it's probably a breath of fresh air hard
1: to follow those kind of bands because they're they're playing louder and 10 times many more notes and you you go oh my god what am i going to play after this
0: can you just quickly tell us about your wonderful Sur guitar here? Um, it looks like a Fender Stratocaster school, it is but just obviously a
1: Fender Strat. It's just a Strat that's easy to play because the um, the neck is flatter. Like it's not completely flat like a Gibson, but it's way flatter than the than the curved Strat. Do you know what, what's the, the six, radius? Sixteen. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's fairly flat, and the frets are jumbo frets. So it makes it easier yeah. to bend strings, because you know how what it's like to try yeah. to bend strings on a traditional Strat with those little tiny frets. Uh, yeah. I don't know how guys do it. I guess that's why Ingve scallops out the, the board. And then the other cool thing about the Strat, um, about John's guitars, is this. I'm oh. up now, and you don't hear any hum,
0: oh, so- because
1: there's a dummy pickup in the horn.
0: Oh, he has those on his on a typical strat.
1: I think he puts them on just about all of his guitars. So you're pointing and to the upper the bout where the strap
0: yeah. would connect,
1: like right yes. above the fi- right,
0: right above the fifteenth fret. You're yes. saying inside the wood. or
1: you know what? No, no, I'm sorry. It's here. Oh, it's on the Excuse lower me. side. Down. It's on the lower side because the pickup lower. Co- the pickguard covers it. Oh, under yeah, and, okay, so and it's a and it's a dummy coil, but because I know you had those for a while, and sometimes yeah. you went into the back of the guitar and everything, but. Well, unlike, like, say, Stevie Ray Vaughan used to have uh, an actual pickup under his pick guard, you know, somewhere, yeah. like, in between the other pickups. Yeah. And that was a real pickup. So that was, a, you know, a pickup is somewhere between five and 6,000 ohms. So that's going to definitely change your tone. And I've heard yeah. that that's why Stevie Ray Vaughan cranked the treble on his amps to make up for the tone that he was losing because of that dummy pickup. The difference in John's pickup it is it has it's not a real pickup it's it doesn't have a magnet so it's only wire and yeah. um it's only 200 ohms so it gets ohms.
0: rid of the 60 cycle hum mm-hmm. like 98% and it and it, it spars- doesn't change the tone one bit because
1: yeah. it's 200 ohms that's like the human ear can't hear the difference between you know flat and 200 ohms you just it's not it. you know i used well, to have it on a switch where you could pull the volume and knob bypass and, it. and bypass it, you can't hear a difference. And then the alternate,
0: um, the other side of things is you get noiseless pickups, but then
1: you're missing like 20% of the noiseless, sweet frequencies. There, that there are, Noiseless pickups tend to be a little bit harsh, and I, I don't really know why. Um, we're talking about single coils, yeah. But my, yeah. my um, experience with noiseless pickups is they don't sound as good as the real pickups in John's noiseless system yeah but that's now I'm saying that without any experience with noiseless pickups in in 15 years sure, so I sure. don't I don't know you know for sure so you
0: got the dummy pickup in there yeah and it's I like, if I recall you set your g-string so that if you pull up on the bar it goes yeah, up a major pull- third like it's you like- are not messing around folks this is a floating yeah. tremolo for yeah. you right here it's
1: it's actually um you know I tune it with a tuner so that when I plug all when I when I pull all the way up on the bar it's it's actually awesome. a perfect yeah. major third. Yeah, it's beautiful, you know, and and it's nice because you can just you know there's so, sometimes I have certain intervals on the G string that I want to pull up to exactly the right yeah. note. And can you show us the using of, that major third in? Well, I mean, a if line?
0: right there. Yeah, and that could be G, that could be G major, or that
1: could be E minor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. That's very. Right, I'm yeah. in D now, or you know, I, I could I could use the yeah. wherever you want to use it. It's yeah, just, you know, I don't do it a lot, but um, main, the main point is that the bridge is floating because you can't really do yeah. a vibrato if the bridge if you've got it hard tailed against the yeah, if it, it only goes fly, flat, if it only goes flat, yeah,
0: and then you hear that knocking,
1: <laughs> right, you know. <laughs> And I don't I don't use the bar as much as I used to but I still use it. I mean, I still do these kind yeah. of things that are Instead of going
2: yeah.
1: a slide, I go Yeah. I do that, that a lot and 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 just these little things that are or whatever, yeah. you know. I just went Yeah. yeah, just these little nuances that you know, and I'm sure you know um, Richie Blackmore and Jeff Beck did them long before I a- a- ever did. But yeah. well, part already... of the part of the bar is you know enjoying that that rubbery yeah. type of slide guitar thing, and I've always loved slide guitar. I Was just never any good at it.
0: So tell me so. about your actual bar. It looks like a little. Th- it's thicker, th- and thicker, th- thicker and shorter. Thicker, shorter. Like to, yeah. to me, this is one of those things. Why don't more
1: guitars have a shorter bar like that? Well, the reason it's short is so you can you can hold it in your hand doesn't make yeah. the guitar go out of tune because if you put the weight on your hand, uh, if you yeah. put the weight of your hand on one of those really long bars, it's going to go flat. Yeah.
0: And then it pushes your pick way
2: up to yeah, the Yeah, and then it, way, you're going to be prep. picking
1: up here which doesn't sound good. So now the know? the tip of your bar is like if you swing it over to the pickups it just It's about if it, the the very tip of the bar hits yeah. the pole of the D string on the the um middle pickup
0: yeah yeah if you so, went straight down from the tip you hit the middle pickup. yeah
1: and it's about in in the in the mm. in the the height of the tip of the bar is about two inches from the yeah pickup. you got
0: that thing bent to yeah. the sky
1: <laughs> so so yeah so you you can hold it in your hand and you, did you know, come up with thing, that
0: bar shape with john the two no or? no that's kind
1: of normal one thing i do notice though is you lose a little tone um why I don't hold the bar in my hand as, as much as I used to because you let me plug in this little thing and you'll probably hear the tonal difference I know I hear it
0: Oh um, you're, you're saying if you are playing and you're holding the bar you're kind of dampening the vibrations yeah, a little bit yeah
1: you dampen the tone a little bit like if I That's play a note here you're holding right the now, bar I'm right now I'm holding the bar in my hand
2: I just picked it now I'm hitting it
1: with my fingers. Yeah. But if I actually pick back nice. here, now you drop the bar. The bar. The note sounds better. Yeah.
2: So you. You lose a
1: little bit of tone by keeping the bar in your hand and picking yeah. between the neck pickup and the middle pickup. Yeah. I would prefer not to have the bar in my hand and pick between the, nettle, uh, the, yeah. the middle and the, and the bridge pickup. This is where I usually pick.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't
1: hold the bar yeah. in my hand as much as I used to, but I know if I know if I'm going to use it then. Yeah. Then I'm gonna then I'm gonna you know pick notes that are that are there and uh, yeah that's that's all right. I don't mind losing a little bit of tone to get the elasticity of those notes you know which is yeah. kind of cool. And you, you throw
0: know. in a lot of pluck notes when you could p- easily pick them. You just like the sound of your fingertips. But what kind of pick do you actually use? I'm using a Fender heavy,
1: but I'm using the the the, uh, the, of the big r- end. Of one it. of the round ends. Quite a difference in tone. because yeah. If you hear this. And yeah. now I'll play with the pointy end. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of wimpy sounding. I know. Now I know here's it. the big
0: end. If I could just go on a rant, I, I'm i stunned that more people don't find the very tip of these picks to be kind of wimpy. Yeah, in, it is in, wimpy sounding. But the best
1: sounding. sound is your finger. Yeah. So I use my I fingers probably more than anything else. The only time I really need a pick is if I'm going to swing I yeah. can't swing with my fingers. Um, I don't know. Some guys can, but it still doesn't sound really swinging to me when they. It's like a pick. Yeah. You can make it really swing with a pick if you're playing bop or you're playing a, a you know swing yeah. style of music. You kind of need a pick to do that, in my opinion, or at least I do. What guitar so. are you
0: playing on, on the solo on Satellite, which is like a swing kind of sound? <laughs>
1: Oh, that's a D'Angelico. It's a it's a rented. Um, I rented it from True Tone. That's only a $500 guitar. It's the cheapest guitar that they make. It was fun. I, I mean, I like to I like to play um, a traditional jazz box every one, once in a while. And I don't know. I hope it's not an ego thing just to 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 say to the straight ahead guys, hey, look what I can do. I can you know. You think I'm not a jazz player? I can still play jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's not out of ego. It's just because I really am a big fan of of, of traditional jazz guitar. I love it. Yeah. I just sort of chose not to have the love of jazz yeah. change the I mean, way I've been playing since I was a kid. I've always played rock Don't worry. We, rock we know guitar. that Bruce Foreman heard that solo and he's <laughs> yeah. like, "Damn it, yeah. he can play jazz." <laughs> yeah, no that, I mean, Bruce actually did like that solo, and <laughs> he he told me he liked it. <laughs> but I I think you know people people sort of expect you to change your tone as you change the kind of music that you like and and i don't know it never even once yeah. occurred to me that because i started listening to jazz that i would change the sound of my guitar like like you know like go to yeah. a completely different instrument stop playing yeah. synthesizer and start playing acoustic piano like no you're the guy it's, man so that's just... why i
0: say it man you've got your single coils huge distortion Huge tone. Well, there's notes. other guys.
1: There's other guys out there, Osnoy and and Wayne Krantz. they're the um, next generation.
0: Just like slightly slightly are. behind you.
1: When when I think about it, I'm probably one of the first guys to play what you would call the jazz vocabulary yeah. on a, a a truly rock and roll sound. You know? Schofield yeah. kind of started it. But yep. his sound has never been. His sound has always been closer to the blues yeah. and just mildly distorted.
0: Yeah, and he's never really been a bar player with the bends and the strat tone. No,
1: but you know, the first time I heard him, he was a. He, it was a big influence on me because when I heard the album uh, "Billy Cobham Live" uh, with George Duke, and Schofield was the uh, guitar player on that album, and I would never heard of him before. And so when I heard him, that's the first time I ever heard a jazz guitar. Because the only jazz guitar players I had heard before that were Wes Montgomery, um, uh, Pat Martino, George Benson. Those are really yeah. the only three guitar players I even knew about. And here comes Schofield playing on what sounded like a Les Paul Junior or something, some kind of a solid body guitar, playing those jazz lines, but with more of a way more of a rock tone than what I'd ever heard and so that was a big big influence on me to know that yeah I could play some other notes and it doesn't I don't necessarily have to go buy a hollow body to do it that's Um, awesome he was actually probably one of the first guys maybe him and Larry Coryell, and maybe John McLaughlin you know to start playing those other notes on rock instruments yeah, so yeah. they were big. All well, all those guys were big influences on me when I was growing up. Larry Carlton, Larry Carlton too. Yeah, I mean when you think about it, God, you you go back into guitar history and there's so many guys we're not mentioning who were yeah. a part of that movement from rock to jazz or jazz to rock. I guess yeah.
0: I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for Strat players, though. Obviously, this is sur guitar, but it's a Stratocaster. Strat, yeah,
1: sure. Like,
0: cause all like the real. I don't know, the people who take it to the moon and back, For in my book, the Jeff Becks, the Hendrixes, the Steve yeah. Ray Vons, the yeah. um, Eddie Van Halens, everyone's playing a Strat. Who else? It's
1: Well, I can think of um, so many. Rory I love Gallagher. Gary, and, yeah. And, and, Gary Moore on a Strat. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, and, and, um, and who am I forgetting? Um, David Gilmore. Richie Blackmore. Blackmore. Uh, he, was, he was, I mean, Blackmore was my idol. The yeah. whole growing up my whole growing up period he's the guy who really taught me how to play the guitar i learned more licks from blackmore and more riffs and more this and that from blackmore i can still play most of them i can still play uh uh where's that uh so uh, uh, that's way Right, yeah. had wrong fingering
2: uh, yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, that, that, all that stuff, and then this solo uh.
2: Uh, that, that i <laughs> one that. goes
1: there. that. Uh... i think that's the space trucking solo man, you know i yeah. can't play them like i used to but man fun. i know so many of those yeah, solos got, yeah note for note this, this whole thing <laughs> You know that I was a big yeah, Deep Purple the, fan. You had I'm, the tone, I'm, man. Too. So it's, it's it's just man. It's in my blood. All that yeah. stuff. You know. No matter what I get into, or if, if I ever become a solo jazz guitarist, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna outgrow that <laughs> wonderful music. You know that I grew up yeah. listening to. And well, nobody you, ever should. You know, you should never give up your roots. Well, when are you gonna do your Deep Purple tribute album? You know. <laughs> yeah, they didn't in they do that. Cover a, a tune. Ingve <laughs> already went there, man. He's already got it covered way better. Than I could, yeah. And he's a monster too, you know. I love Engvæ. He's he says the stupidest shit in the world, but he's such an amazing player. He's yeah, just well, he's he's amazing. I just love the guy. I do too. He's he's a real player. Yeah, he's a I, I feel his notes, man. Yeah. he
0: might play a million notes, but I feel
1: yeah. the notes. Yeah, he's a badass. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's got too much Blackmore in him not to be a badass. That's just you can tell. That's that was his dude. You know, that was the guy he really listened to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really crazy about the, um, you know, he really likes Paganini, who I have to say is my least favorite classical composer of all time, and he loves Paganini, but yeah. you know that influence I'm not really crazy about. When but when Ingve just plays straight up rock and blues, man, the guy's a he's a <laughs> badass. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, he's a yeah. monster. Yeah.
0: So where I mean, obviously you can stream it on Spotify, but where's a good place to get? people
2: mover
1: Um the best place to do it is to either buy it on CD Baby or order an autographed copy from me from my website then I make the most money of course but yeah. if you buy it on CD Baby that's great um if you're into MP3s Amazon has it and iTunes has it yeah Yeah that's the best Um you know CD Baby is so awesome because um, I've put my last two records out by myself. And though it does mean making a lot of trips to the post office and doing stuff that you don't necessarily like doing, but the rewards are so much better because you get CDs at a decent price to sell on the road. And, you know, yeah, you have to, of course you have to hire your own publicist and do your, a a lot of that stuff yourself. But if you can afford it, It's really worth it because the labels, they're they're really, these days, they've become nothing but just glorified secretaries. You know, that's really all they do. And they take way too much money away from the artists for what they do, which is very little, you know. Uh, so if you can if you can do an album and if you can afford to to pay for the album yourself and put it on CD baby you and hire your own publicist which is very important I mean otherwise nobody's going to know your records out there but I if anybody's interested in doing that you can email me and I can give you the name of the publicist that I use and he's awesome and I've recommended him to many of my friends who've had nothing but great things to say about him
2: is that and, still um, Jim Mega?
1: No, it's um, it's um, um, uh, Billy uh James, Billy James. It's Glass Onion, uh, publicity. Cool, and he's just really great. He you
0: sure you he, want to give your email address out to
1: everybody? <laughs> they have it because uh, um, it's on my website right, for so you, for lessons and stuff like that, and to just, buy stuff. And you your know. website is Scott. scott at, uh, it's just Scott at um. I'm sorry, now the, your the website, website is scott henderson dot net. My email is scott at scott henderson dot net, and like that's cool. my paypal address if you want to send money you know buy a cd you would just send it to my yeah. email on paypal or if you just want to but, send scott um, some money just, or if you just want to send me money for fun yeah i'll find something fun to do with it well do you, you know? do a lot of meet and greets
0: after that's a good way to sell cds too, i do i do mean the meet and greet. man i'm
1: on this i'm at. i'm at the front of the stage after the encore two minutes after the encore i'm at the i'm at the front of the stage selling cds and, and, nice. I, and I love meeting the audience. And so yeah. even on those nights where I know I had a bad night and I'm embarrassed to be seen, I still <laughs> go out <laughs> and, and meet the fans yeah. and you know sign autographs and s- sell CDs. It's just, you know, it's kind of what we're, we as guitar players, it's part of the gig, really. You know, yeah. um, most of the guys that I've seen live do it. I, I, I very rarely go to a show... Where a guy just disappears backstage and doesn't come out. You know, yep. it's almost snobbish exactly. to, to do that these days. You know, that's like Word. I don't have a big presence on Instagram or YouTube or whatever, but that's how I make up for it. You know, like at my yeah. gigs I go out after the show and I shake everybody's hand and I'll take a picture with anybody that wants a picture and I'm there for usually an hour, sometimes even two hours after the end of the show, just doing meet and greet. It's great it's part of the gig man It's and it's fun you know you meet people and you hear stories and, and uh, oh you got friends all over the world yeah well it, but one thing it is funny when the guys come up to you and say hey do you remember me I saw your show like five years ago <laughs> remember you know, me i was your drummer on that one tour well that i would remember but usually i just tell them, no man i'm sorry i only remember women and that's like a global excuse to not remember somebody that you haven't seen for five years only one time yeah well women are pretty rare at a jazz fusion show huh? <laughs> it's not actually as, as bad as it used to be um you know we just came back from asia it was a good lot of good mixed audiences at those shows South America was pretty much uh, a sausage fest, but um yeah. I guess I guess, you know, the Remember South you, South American women don't like
0: diffusion. You came back from a uh, Belgium gig once or something. I think it was Belgium.
1: Oh Belgium. That's you, a, you said it, yeah. what did you say it was? I said I I just I just know that they're there weren't any girls at the gig or any of the shopping malls from 100 miles in, in the what vicinity. You said, what you said about right. your gig was that it was a cock forest. A cock forest,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, that
1: that's this okay. club that we play sometimes in Belgium. Um, in, in Brussels, it's called the Route 66. You've never played there? I might have. I bet you have, because just it's about a, everybody plays there. and has got a I have, balcony and a yes
0: and this in the, the backstage is like down a steep staircase yes down there.
1: yes yeah yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm sure have played you played there i've never seen a female in there not even a waitress <laughs> <laughs> there, there's just waiters and guys and and a lot of the guys have flannel shirts and beards and uh but those so, french fries though <laughs> Yeah, <but laughs> i find that you know it's just funny that in some cities there are just absolutely no women at the gig but then you go to some you know when you go to asia it's surprising how how there's a huge i'd even say 50 50 most of the gigs lots of women and and they seem to really enjoy the music and maybe they didn't come on their own maybe their boyfriend took them but you can tell at the end of the show they come up and say well i've never heard you before but i really loved the music they're way more open-minded um You know, I mean, I guess music doesn't have to have vocals in it for them to like it, which is something about America, which seems to be not true. Because if, you know, in America, if the music doesn't have vocals women are yeah. not likely to listen to it. And I'm not saying all oh, yeah, women, well, I'm not trying to put a stereotype everything's on Everything's always women,
0: changing but... and everything's always evolving and well, more now, women I, than ever rocking l- guitar Luckily, and fusion. we
1: seem to be getting more and more women guitar players. Yeah, yeah. So the landscape's changing and, and I know that every year at MI there are more and more female guitarists. So that's a good sign. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so at least those guitar players will come to the instrumental music shows. Well, thank you so much, man. Keep thank it alive to you, Appreciate 95. It, man. Thank you so much. The guitar is safe.